This episode includes descriptions of graphic violence and injuries. Discretion is advised, especially for listeners under the age of 13. Teresa Neumann lay in bed, slipping in and out of consciousness. One moment, she was in her room. The next, she was somewhere else entirely. As that other reality came into focus, Teresa realized she was standing in one of the holiest sites on Earth, the Garden of Gethsemane. According to the Bible, that's where Jesus spent the night before his crucifixion. In a moment of fear, he prayed for God to find another way to save humanity. Teresa had never been there before, and yet the scene was oddly clear. The moon hung high in the sky, shining white light on the twisted branches of the olive trees. Nearby, three men lounged on boulders, looking exhausted. Then she saw him. Jesus Christ himself knelt before her, deep in prayer. Teresa knew what was happening right away. This was the night he begged God to spare his life. The night he was arrested in the lead-up to his crucifixion. And somehow, she was here to witness it all. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on Christian mystic Teresa Neumann. She rose from humble beginnings to perform incredible feats of healing and reportedly had religious visions that left physical evidence. Today, we'll explore Teresa's early years growing up in Germany. After an accident left her physically disabled, she started having visions of Jesus Christ and other religious figures. This culminated when she seemingly witnessed one of the most important events in Christian history, the Passion of Christ. Next time, we'll discuss Teresa's legacy and some of her most polarizing claims. We'll examine the mystic's alleged 40-year fast and dive into the concept of stigmata. We'll debate whether it's evidence of God's might or if it reveals the power of an all-too-human mind. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you think of the word mystical, what springs to mind? The worlds of mysticism and religion might feel separate, but they're more intertwined than you may think. Especially when we remember that at its core, mysticism is about contact and connection with the divine. Some of the most important Christian figures are mystics. St. Augustine's special relationship with God allegedly gave him healing abilities. And in the 1000s, theologian Anselm of Canterbury dedicated his life to contemplation on God's nature, which eventually became a template for monks to follow for centuries afterward. These accounts may seem like they belong in the distant past. And yet, as recently as the 20th century, people reportedly did amazing things that seemed like evidence of their mystical power. People like Teresa Neumann. In the beginning, her life wasn't any more or less special than anyone else's. Born on Good Friday in 1898, her parents named her after St. Teresa of Avila. That was pretty typical in their small Bavarian village of Connorsraut. Most people there were devout Roman Catholics, including the Neumanns. A family friend and author, Adelbert Albert Vogel, documented much of Teresa's life in his book Teresa Neumann, Mystic and Stigmatist. According to him, Teresa knew she wanted to dedicate her life to the church from an early age. She and her family went to Mass and received communion every single day. But she wanted to do more. She dreamed of becoming a missionary, taking the gospel to the farthest and most isolated reaches of the globe. But the realities of her daily life were far less exciting. Although Teresa's father was a tailor, his profits weren't nearly enough to support Teresa and her eight siblings. For the most part, the Neumanns relied on their small farm to get by. As the oldest, Teresa was expected to help take care of the other kids and handle chores. She learned the value of a hard day's work and became one of the family's best laborers. Although Teresa never complained, that's a lot of pressure for a teenager. And it might explain why she wasn't a better student. She was smart, but her grades were just okay. When World War I broke out in 1914, her father was drafted into the military. 16-year-old Teresa put her missionary dreams on hold to pick up his slack at home. Four years later, she was still on the farm, continuing her work. Since she was such a skilled laborer, her uncle hired her to help on his land, too. One Sunday in March, 
Teresa was handling the chores when she heard shouting coming from the barn. All of a sudden, she smelled smoke. She and the other workers ran to find the building engulfed in flames. It was all hands on deck. Teresa stood on a stool, passing heavy pails of water up to someone who'd gotten inside the loft. Then, that person threw the water in the fire to keep it from spreading. After a few hours, the worst of it was over. As the adrenaline wore off, exhaustion set in. Teresa crumpled under the weight of her soaking wet clothes, tumbling her off the stool to the hard ground. When she tried to stand, pain shot up and down her spine. Someone helped her up, but even once Teresa was on her feet, she could barely walk on her own. The best she could do was hobble down the road to her house. As she lay in bed that night, Teresa prayed that with a little rest, she'd be back to her old self. Unfortunately, her physical health only got worse from there. Besides the back pain, agonizing cramps seized Teresa's legs. Her family called in doctors from the neighboring town. From what they could tell, Teresa had partial paralysis in her spine, likely caused by the fall. They recommended several treatments, but none made a difference. Although it seemed hopeless, Teresa was tough. She was only 20 years old, with her whole life ahead of her. More than that, she couldn't bear the idea that she'd never become a missionary. So she tried to live as if nothing had changed, pushing herself to do all the same chores as before. But it wasn't easy. Weeks or maybe months after her accident, Teresa began having trouble with her vision. It deteriorated until she was almost blind. Even then, barely able to walk or see, she continued to stumble around the farm, helping where she could. Even occasional fainting spells didn't stop her. But one day, after nearly a year of suffering, she took a serious tumble down a steep wooden staircase leading to the family's basement. After this latest fall, she was essentially bedridden. Eventually, she developed terrible bed sores. Some were so deep, her bones were exposed. By the one-year anniversary of her accident, March 1919, Teresa had lost what was left of her sight. Once upon a time, she shouldered her family's burdens. Now, Teresa felt like she was adding to them, and there was nothing she could do about it. To deal with the dark thoughts clouding her mind, Teresa turned to her faith. Since she couldn't go to church for communion anymore, her pastor, Father Josef Naber, came to her. During these visits, he offered Teresa blessings and spiritual guidance. After spending so much time together, the two became close friends. When Father Naber wasn't there, Teresa's parents and siblings took turns reading her scriptures and other religious stories. Her favorite was the tale of Teresa of Lisieux, also known as the Little Flower of Jesus. Teresa admired the Little Flower for a number of reasons, beyond their shared name. In her journals, the Little Flower said she was desperate to serve the Lord, but her circumstances prevented her from getting far. Because of convent politics, the Little Flower was a permanent novice, 
which meant she'd never be a full nun. Even worse, her order was cloistered, meaning they weren't allowed to interact with the outside world in any way. Since great deeds were out of the question, she committed to perform small ones inside the convent walls. The little flowers sent letters and prayers of support to those who could go out on missions. She ate the leftovers no one else wanted and accepted the blame for mistakes she didn't make. As a symbol of her little daily sacrifices, she scattered flowers around the convent grounds, which is how she got her nickname. After living a humble life, the little flower died in 1897 when she was only 24 years old. Teresa saw a lot of herself in the little flower. Like her, Teresa's big dreams of becoming a missionary had been dashed, but she showed that even the smallest actions are important in the kingdom of God. Vogel noted that this helped Teresa accept her circumstances, and as soon as she did, she felt a level of spiritual contentment unlike anything she'd ever experienced before. From that point onward, all Teresa wanted was to help others. In her private prayer time, she volunteered to take on the pain of those in purgatory. Catholic tradition says in purgatory, the deceased pay for their wrongdoing via pain and punishment before they can reach paradise. But if Teresa took on some of that affliction, those souls could reach heaven faster. Two years later, it seemed Teresa's wish to serve others came true. One day, a young man who was studying to be a priest came to visit her. They got to talking, and the man explained he had a throat condition that threatened to end his ministry before it even began. After hearing this, Teresa decided to complete a novena on his behalf. This means she said a specific prayer every day for nine days. Novenas typically ask God for a favor, like healing. But Teresa didn't just pray for the man's recovery. She asked God to allow her to take on his sickness. Sure enough, after nine days, the young man's throat was feeling much better. Meanwhile, Teresa's throat became so painful she could barely eat. Soon, she lost her appetite entirely. Teresa would live with this particular ailment for eight years until the man performed his first Mass as a priest. Many who knew Teresa already thought she was special, but this was on a whole other level, and this would only be Teresa's first miracle of many. Coming up, Teresa becomes a famous mystic. I'm Darnell Ishmael, guest host of Bass Reeves, No Master But Duty, the special four-part miniseries from Solved Murders. I am honored to take you on a journey deep into the Old West to meet one of the greatest true crime heroes you may have never known existed, Bass Reeves. No Master But Duty reveals the true story of a formerly enslaved man who went on to become one of the most legendary U.S. Deputy Marshals in the American West, bringing justice to over 3,000 criminals. Follow Solved Murders and catch all four episodes of Bass Reeves' No Master But Duty. Listen for free, only on Spotify.
This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In 1923, one year after Teresa Neumann performed her first miraculous healing, her favorite nun, the little flower, Teresa of Lisieux, was scheduled for beatification. This meant she was on her way to becoming a saint. Teresa was fascinated by the whole process, so we'll try to break it down here. It's pretty complicated, so we'll keep it as simple as we can. To start, the person being considered for sainthood can't even be nominated until five years after their death. Once that waiting period passes, the bishop of the region where they died opens an investigation into whether they lived a life of what they call heroic virtues. The bishop puts together a tribunal to interview relevant people and gather evidence. They send a report to the Congregation for the Causes of Saints in Rome. This is a group that reviews possible candidates for sainthood as well as alleged holy objects. And they don't work alone. The report on the possible saint is also examined by a team of theologians, a.k.a. religious scholars. If it passes their inspection and gets endorsed by the congregation, the report goes to the Pope for his final stamp of approval. And that's just step one. Step two, beatification, can only start once the nominee is proven to have performed a posthumous miracle. For the Church to officially declare something miraculous, there can't be a rational scientific explanation for the event. Step three, canonization. This requires yet another miracle, which has to happen after the nominee was beatified. So that's at least two miracles after death. If that all goes smoothly, they can finally be named a saint of the Catholic Church. As a reminder, though the little flower was first eligible in 1902, she wasn't up for beatification until 1923. That means it took 21 years to get to the beatification stage. Still, Teresa was so excited, you might have thought she was the one being honored. According to Vogel's retelling, in the days leading up to the festivities, Teresa prayed a novena for the little flower. Her family helped her decorate a picture of the soon-to-be-blessed servant of God. The actual ceremony took place in Rome on April 29th. Since Teresa couldn't be there in person, she followed along closely from her bed, likely with the help of a radio broadcast. At the very moment the bishop declared the little flower beatified, Teresa had a vision of the mystic showering her with roses. She closed her eyes as the petals brushed her face. When she opened them, blurry shapes appeared where the petals had been. Teresa looked around her room. Slowly, the shapes became furniture and other items she hadn't seen in so long. Then it hit her. She could see again. After four long years, 
Teresa was no longer blind. Once she regained her sight, Teresa became even more devoted to the little flower. When her canonization day finally came two years later, in May 1925, Teresa met the newly declared saint again in another vision. This time, the little flower asked Teresa a question. Did she want to be healed? For six years, Teresa had believed God wanted her to accept her physical state. So now, she said whatever God willed was fine with her. The little flower tried again. Wouldn't it make her happy to suffer just a little less? Teresa doubled down, saying anything that came from God made her happy. It seems she passed Little Flower's test. Teresa felt a pair of invisible hands lift her out of her bed. Then suddenly, the aching in her spine and legs stopped for the first time in years. Her family had been sure Teresa would never walk again. And yet, after this miracle, she stood before them completely healed. The only ailment left was the throat condition she'd taken from the young priest three years earlier. The Neumanns couldn't believe their eyes. Teresa didn't waste any time getting back to all the activities she used to love. She returned to the farm, eager to repay her family for the years of care and attention they'd given her. But just when it seemed like her worries were over, Teresa was dealt another blow. Later that year, she found herself back in bed with a horrible pain in her torso. She spent nearly a week doubled over before her family called a doctor. It didn't take him long to figure out what was happening. She had appendicitis. He urged them to get her to a hospital for surgery right away. Instead, they called Father Knobber for a second opinion. That might seem like an odd response. But Teresa had been miraculously healed before. It's possible they thought it would happen again. They just needed to have faith. But Father Naber seemed to agree with the doctor. He said it was God's will to get Teresa to an operating room immediately. As everyone sprang into action, Teresa reminded the doctor she would do anything God wanted her to. Just then, she seized up in excruciating pain. A second later, and just as suddenly, she sat upright. She seemed to be listening to something or someone hovering near the ceiling. Teresa nodded and said yes several times before writhing in agony again. Then everything stopped. Teresa's muscles relaxed and she took a deep breath. Before anyone could process what was happening, she shot out of bed and stood up straight for the first time in days. Apparently, she'd been talking to the little flower, who'd commanded her to go to the church to say the Thanksgiving prayers. As for what she was giving thanks for, apparently, the appendicitis was cured. Teresa did exactly what the little flower told her to do. Right after calling her doctor to let him know her surgery was no longer necessary. Sure enough, after a day of prayer, she visited the physician the following afternoon. He confirmed all the symptoms of the condition were gone. 
That made three times Teresa's favorite saint had stepped in on her behalf. And these encounters taught her a very important lesson. God was willing to perform miracles in return for her complete devotion. After all the challenges she'd faced, now Teresa had more faith than ever. She was in better health than she'd been in a long time. The Neumann family certainly had a lot to celebrate over the holidays that year. As winter faded into spring in 1926, Teresa began to prepare for Lent, the 40 days leading up to Easter. But the season got off to a rough start. Around the end of February, Teresa got the flu. As Vogel notes in his biography of Teresa, she celebrated the beginning of Lent from bed. That's when she had her first ecstatic vision of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some people think of ecstasy as meaning intense happiness, but it roughly translates to the act of transcending yourself. It can describe visions that are religious in nature, in which a person seems to connect directly with a higher power like God. In many religions, achieving ecstasy makes someone a mystic. Roman Catholic mystics reach this state through deep contemplative prayer, focused on feeling God's presence. In fact, St. Teresa of Avila, our Teresa's namesake, literally wrote the book on mystical experiences brought on through prayer. Teresa Neumann didn't need to make as much or any effort, and the ecstasies always came in the form of visions. As we mentioned, the first one was of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If this was a dream, it was the most intense one Teresa had ever had. She didn't just watch the moment unfold before her. She experienced it as if she and Jesus were one and the same. As she stared at the Savior, Teresa felt a sharp pain in her left side, like she was being stabbed. But she was too transfixed by Jesus' agony to pay much attention to her own. When she came back to her body, Teresa was exhausted, mentally, emotionally, and physically. Her left side ached in the same spot that had hurt during her vision. She reached down to feel for the wound, and her hand came away wet. In fact, her whole bed was soaked in blood. Coming up, Teresa's mystical status is sealed. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, back to the story. After her first ecstatic vision of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, Teresa Neumann was shaken. She reeled with questions. What was God trying to tell her? And why was she bleeding? As she wiped away the blood, she found a wound. 
It was about an inch and a half long, just near her heart on the left side of her chest. Teresa was surprised, but not fearful. If her new fate was to spontaneously find injuries on her body, so be it. Good thing, because this was only the beginning. She continued having dreams the next three Fridays in Lent. Then, on the weekend of Easter, she fell into another ecstasy, reliving Jesus' ordeal in real time. Thursday night, Teresa found herself back at Gethsemane. She felt Jesus' agony as he fought to accept his fate. Her heart broke with betrayal as Judas kissed his cheek, signaling to the Roman soldiers that Jesus was who they were after. Her arms sagged as they clasped heavy irons around Jesus' wrists and led him away. Teresa stayed with Jesus until early Friday morning, watching as an angry mob harassed him during his trial. Flecks of spit sprayed her face and her ears rang with screams of mockery. When someone slapped him, Teresa felt the burning sting on her own cheek. She stood by as the judge sentenced Jesus to be crucified and writhed alongside him as he was struck with a whip, tearing deep trenches in his back. She could taste the metallic tang of blood in the back of her throat. Teresa knew all too well what was coming next. Jesus was forced to carry the huge wooden cross to the site of his own execution. The rough wood pressed against Teresa's already tender back, digging into the open wounds. She couldn't hear anything above the deafening shouts from the crowd, eager to see Jesus die. Eventually, they reached the hill where Jesus would meet his end. Soldiers hammered large iron nails through Jesus' palms and feet. Simultaneously, Teresa felt the metal pierce her muscles and tendons. And when he was lifted into place, Teresa experienced anguish like never before. As Teresa contorted on her bed back in Connor's route, her family stood by helpless. They watched new lesions open on her hands and feet as the crucifixion approached. By the time Father Naber arrived, Teresa was leaking blood from her eyes. But the worst wasn't over yet. As Jesus's suffering increased, so did Teresa's. At one point, Father Naber thought about administering her last rites. Time stretched out endlessly, until Teresa suddenly let out a long, ragged breath and fell silent. Recovering from this ecstasy took a lot longer than the others. Hours passed before Teresa seemed even remotely normal. Her family helped her clean up, and once she was back in bed, Father Naber asked to see her injuries. In addition to the wound on her side, small holes had opened in the middle of her hands and feet. When Father Nauber saw those, everything became clear. Teresa was experiencing stigmata. According to Catholic mysticism, stigmata is the spontaneous appearance of injuries that correspond to the wounds Jesus suffered during the crucifixion. It's interpreted as a sign the person has a special connection to the Savior. From then on, Teresa regularly relived the crucifixion, also referred to as the Passion of Christ. Her visions always corresponded with an important date on the Catholic calendar. 
According to Vogel, Teresa's close relationship with Jesus also seemingly gave her extraordinary abilities. She could recognize any priest even if they weren't in their robes. She said she could sense their hands were consecrated. One day, a bishop traveling through the village supposedly stopped to speak with Teresa. As soon as he walked in her room, she immediately felt that something was wrong. The stranger might have looked like a man of the cloth, but his hands, she knew he was a fake. Likely to Father Naber's surprise, Teresa sent him away. Sometime later, they learned he was a con man, impersonating a bishop to trick people into giving him money. Teresa could also identify important religious objects, according to Vogel's book, like the time a priest came to visit her at home during one of her ecstasies. Although she was usually unreachable in these moments, she seemed to detect his presence and asked to see his rosary. He handed it to her, and Teresa reverently brought the necklace to her lips. She told him it had once belonged to St. Crescentia, who was also from Bavaria. The priest was stunned. There was no way she could have known that, and yet it was true. Stories about Teresa's abilities quickly spread through Bavaria. According to a 1927 piece in the Nottingham Evening Post, several pamphlets and even a few articles about her appeared in German papers. Skeptics and believers alike traveled to get a glimpse of her stigmata or even watch her during an ecstatic vision. Soon, long lines of curious visitors snaked around the Neumann home. The crowds were especially big on Fridays when Teresa relived the Passion. The whole process was like going to a busy art gallery. In order to give everyone a chance to see her, Teresa's family shepherded guests up the stairs to her room. There, they may only get a fleeting glimpse of Teresa in bed, her stigmata wounds bleeding freely. Still, this was enough to bring many to tears and to God. There are several accounts of people converting shortly after seeing Teresa's miracles. By 1927, Teresa had become a widespread topic of interest and the tiny town of Connorsraut was overrun with tourists. They came from all across Germany. Teresa was even being talked about in Munich, Bavaria's capital city. Her story crossed the desk of journalist and academic Dr. Fritz Gerlich. As the newly appointed editor-in-chief of a daily paper, this was just the type of career-making feature he was looking for. Gerlich had to see Theresa Neumann for himself. It wasn't God calling him, though. It was his journalistic instinct. He didn't believe in Theresa's abilities, and since he'd studied science and history at university, he thought he had the know-how to expose her as a fraud. He could already see the headline. All he needed now was the proof. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with part two of the mystical life of Teresa Neumann. 
For more information on Teresa Neumann, amongst the many sources we used, we found Teresa Neumann, Mystic and Stigmatist by Adelbert Albert Vogel extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast, executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production, and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ali Wicker is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Megan Hannum, edited by Natalie Pritsovsky and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Jay Cahew, recorded by Freddie Rivera, produced by Aaron Larson, and sound designed by Kerry Murphy. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Richard Rossner. I'm Darnell Ishmael. This February on Solved Murders, join me for a four-part miniseries on the incredible life and career of Bass Reeves, one of the preeminent U.S. Deputy Marshals in the American West. In Bass Reeves, No Master But Duty, discover how a man born into slavery took freedom by force and brought over 3,000 criminals to justice, including his own son. Follow Solved Murders and catch all four episodes of Bass Reeves, No Master But Duty. Listen for free, only on Spotify.